Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, March 16th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We discuss the ongoing issue of the weekend Beltline protests in the city and ask the chief about the police service's strategy to address them moving forward. Then we continue our conversation on the war in Ukraine. We speak with a professor of art history and art conservation from Queen's University about the risk of losing many of the heritage buildings and centuries-old monuments in the war-torn country due to the Russian invasion. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listener. And finally, are you ready to keep the kids entertained over March break? We've got some ideas to help you avoid hearing the dreaded I'm bored over the break. We get some suggestions from low-tech to high-tech toys and gadgets from Danny Boom, the head of live shopping from Showcase. Every month we have the opportunity to chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld and look at the issues facing our city. Chief Newfeld joins us now. Good morning, Chief. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue. All right, uh, you know what's coming. Uh, Let's talk about these (laughs) weekly so-called freedom protests in the Beltline area. Now, okay, City Council has asked police to come up with a plan because the current enforcement, they say, is not working. Chief, what what are police officers, what's the force going to do this weekend? I think everyone is expecting that this potentially could be a, a bigger protest with all the coverage coming up. Yeah, for sure. I think that's probably a, a reasonable assessment of what's going on. Let me just back up a little bit, though, uh, Sue, and say that, you know what, the, the service actually has been engaged, obviously, in, in managing these protests wherever they've been, uh, and protests of all kinds here, you know, for a long time, even before the pandemic. But I think things have certainly changed during the pandemic. Um, obviously, when we talk about uh, things not being effective, I think what everybody was really hoping was that, uh, you know, once the restrictions were lifted, and people could see that coming based on the case counts dropping, that the situation would change Mm -hmm. and that these protests would subside, and they didn't. And I think when that happened, I think that's really caused a boiling over of emotions. And I think folks have really put up with a lot in uh, communities like the Beltline, and we really get it. And so, you know, we saw a real difference last week. We saw a group of protesters who I think now are incoherent, and, you know, it's hard to understand what exactly they're doing out there. Um, You know, and it seems like they want to continue to uh, do what they want to do, And like I say, last weekend was the first time we've seen them actually disobey uh, police officers on the ground. And so that's a marked escalation for me. And like I say, we recognize that, uh, you know, we've been responsible for developing plans all the way along. And that's what we're doing again. And so that's that's what's in the works for the weekend. Chief, what do you say to, and we see this a lot on social media, everybody has an opinion and protests. And I think we all agree that there, you know, we have a right to protest in a democracy, in our city, in our country. Uh, but, uh, you know, people coming out of the woodwork saying, well, you know, the police would respond differently if it was this type of a protest or, you know, they were more harsh at uh, this style of or this, uh, you know, um, movement or whatever it might be, for example. What do you say to that? Is there a different approach taken depending on the, the, uh, the uh, protest and the meaning behind it? Well, we really try not to because, uh, Andy, you make a good point. I mean, protests are for a reason, right? And and people are going out uh, for a particular reason, and they're looking for just these types of things, and they always have, and so uh, and and they should be. There shouldn't be a differential response. But but I think what we're seeing is we're dealing with, as I've said before, um, many protests in the city, and in most cases, the groups are actually very cooperative. So the police are actually able to go out. They're able to, to facilitate 
people's Section 2 charter rights. Uh, it's peaceful. It's it's uh, organized. And it's not meant to disrupt everybody. And I think the one thing that we've seen is that there's been a pushing of the limits of Section 2 charter rights during the pandemic. And that's how we got to see, you know, freedom protests. We got to see freedom convoys. We got to see freedom rodeos. We got to see all kinds of things under the guise of, well, these are my rights. Mm-hmm. Well, Section 1 balances that off to say that, you know, reasonable limits can be placed against those rights in a free and democratic society. That's where the tension is. When do you step in? When is it appropriate? And so that's, I think that's been a bit of the challenge. But I think obviously, you know, we, we got a very good signal last uh, weekend. And then even since then, some of the stuff I'm reading in the media about what the protesters are saying, and I'll just call them anti-democracy protesters now, because I, I guess that's what it is. Uh, and so they're basically saying, you know, I'll paraphrase, they want to do whatever they want to do, and that's not on. Okay, so we know their 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 intention is to disrupt. You talked about things escalating, disobeying police. You know, officers were seen last weekend using bicycles for crowd control. There's got to be better options moving forward, yes? Well, I you know, I certainly hope so. Uh, I have to say, though, that uh, things could get worse before they get better because, you know, the police may end up having to use uh, force again. Uh, that's regrettable, I have to say. Our goal is to, is to not have to do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think when you have, uh, you know, a group like the anti-democracy protesters saying we're doing whatever they want, uh, when the police step in and say, no, that's not going to happen, um, I'm hopeful we get to a, to a peaceful resolution. But you know what? That doesn't always happen. And so, I mean, these are, these are some of the things we're considering as we tabletop and plan for the weekend is that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there needs to be a different outcome that takes into consideration the level of disruption and the level of, um, of um, I guess, non-compliance that we're seeing, which is inconsistent with other protests that we deal with here in the city. Just a quick question here, you know, furthering to the protests. I've seen a few things online of people saying, hey, we'd like to be sure that we're represented, whatever side you're on for these so-called freedom protests. Come on downtown this weekend. We'd like to get a couple hundred people. What do you say to, to groups hoping to rally more people for this weekend into the core? Well, you know what, I suspect that's happening on both sides, Andy, and, it, and it's a bit disappointing. Um, I understand that people will do what they want to do, and i got to say I understand, certainly on the side of the residents, I understand why they would want to do that. I, I would urge again there just to, to let the police handle this. We'd love to be able to be dealing with one, one group and not volatility between two. Um, but again, I don't, you know, I obviously don't control what, uh, you know, how people feel, and if they want to come out, they come out, because they have a right as well. Um, at the end of the day, though, it does complicate things for the police in terms of trying to manage this. Um, and so I would just put that out there. Yes. With, respect to the, with respect to the anti-democracy protesters, I would say if this is really about freedom, then maybe think about the freedom of the folks in the Beltline and give them that back. Because uh, freedom isn't just for people with the loudest horns, it's for everybody. I was just going to ask you, you know, what are you hearing from people, the residents, particularly that area? We've got one listener who's a regular who texts us and says that she doesn't leave her place. She doesn't leave her apartment between one and four on Saturdays because these people are causing a major disruption. They're rude. They're aggressive. And, and something, obviously, I think all of us can agree that something has to be done, right? Yeah, I do agree. And that's, that's actually sort of typical of what we are hearing, Sue. Uh, the stories from people are that they've been disrupted, the businesses have been disrupted. And so, you know, they, they appreciate the fact that people have a right to protest as well, but they've, they've sort of grit their teeth for a long time here. And we're looking for, you know, like I say, for this to subside, and it hasn't. And, you know, like nobody should have to continue to put up with, uh, with this. And, you know, we can see protests. There's places that it would make sense to go if you're trying to, trying to, um, 
um, you know, protest restrictions put on by the city. You might be at the municipal building or the province at the McDougall Centre or whatever. But this this just seems to be actually intentionally disruptive, and and that seems to be working. Covered a lot about the Beltline. Obviously, that has been in the news and in the on the public's mind. But I'm wondering, uh, it is Fraud Prevention Month. Just before we let you go, uh, does the, the police service have a lot on the go for Fraud Prevention Month? Oh, always, uh, Andy. So uh, that's really important because, uh, as we know, there's a lot of uh, scams and and uh, and uh, that type of thing going on online and offline. And I think it's really important. Uh, this year's the 18th annual uh, national campaign. So we're partnering with local, provincial, and national partners in law enforcement, crime prevention, and businesses in the community just to fight against fraud. And really the goal is to educate citizens about the common types of scams that are going on now. And this is all about prevention. The idea is to make sure that folks uh, have uh, some education about what's out there so that they can recognize it ahead of time and prevent themselves from becoming uh, victims. So each week of the month, there's a, a different theme. And this is obviously the third week, and so online scams are uh, are what's uh, being profiled. So lots of information out there, uh, whether it be through the library or our partners, uh, lots of information that you can get about what the common sort of scams online are and how to prevent yourself from being victimized. Appreciate your time this morning, Chief. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, you guys. Have a wonderful day. You too. Mark Newfeld, Calgary Police Chief. Ukraine is home to unique architecture, including multiple UNESCO heritage <clears throat> monuments. As Russia moves in on Kiev and Lviv, these historical buildings are at risk. To explain why they need protection, we are joined by Govan Bailey, a professor in the Department of Art History and Art Conversation, uh, Conservation rather, at Queen's University. Good morning to you, Professor Bailey. Good morning. Well, recently you wrote a piece for the online publication, The Conversation, about how if Ukraine heritage buildings and monuments are destroyed... They cannot be replicated. So, uh, you know, let's talk about the history behind these buildings. Why is it so important, Professor? Well, they're unique buildings. I mean, they've been recognized by UNESCO, but even the ones that UNESCO hasn't recognized, they're buildings that combine East and West in in really interesting ways. They're the most ancient and important buildings of the uh, Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox Church. It's, it's uh, buildings that can't be replaced. Can they be replicated if, if it was, uh, you know, able or possible, Professor? Or is that something, is it, I mean, you can never replicate something like that, especially if it's a, a religious building, correct? Well, Ukraine has a history of doing that because they've had such a sad history, both with the, with the Soviets and then with the Nazis. Uh, so the Soviets blew up this magnificent medieval monastery just across from St. Sophia, which is the one that's still there. Um, and in the 1930s, and then the Nazis blew up one called the Dormition Cathedral, which is in the Pechersk Lavra um, monastic area, uh, in the 1940s. And immediately after independence, the Ukrainians rebuilt them. They did a very good job. They looked great at a distance. But here's the deal. When you got up close, um, all of the ornament, all the stuff that made them really special originally looks mechanical. It, it's out of date. It's, mm. it, it doesn't look like it originally did. Let's break this down, Professor Bailey, because, you know, we, we brought this conversation in talking about the UNESCO designation for a lot of these monuments and buildings, and we've seen and heard the term UNESCO. What exactly does a designate like that mean? Well, UNESCO says that these buildings have to be of outstanding value to humanity, and it's, it, it's about being more important than just the one country. So they say they have to belong to all the people of the world, irrespective of the territory on which they're located. And that's the process. That's sort of the justification. And then the process goes through. Now, I'll tell you that a lot of buildings that 
that match that description are not covered with, by UNESCO yet. There are some candidate cities uh, in Ukraine, like uh, Chernihiv, that have not yet uh, reached that status. But that's, the, that's their re- uh, reasoning. Just reading a little bit uh, from that article in the conversation, and you know, obviously, religious monuments are are what is key here that people are talking about mostly. And uh, that St. Andrew's Church really looks to have incredible historic significance. So it's no wonder there's so much concern that these buildings may be damaged or possibly er- eradicated completely. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because yes as works of architecture they're important but they're also very important even more so as um, as religious sites of great importance to basically the entire orthodox world and these are places shrines of an inestimable uh, 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 importance saint andrews where saint andrew was believed to have raised the cross the first christianity in the region saint sophia saint sophia which is a, which is a uh, associated with the beginning of the uh, Orthodox Church in in the Slavic lands. So these are really important to people, not just to historians. It's got to be interesting because, you know, when we talk about the infrastructure of a nation such as Ukraine under siege, and, and we've heard these horrific stories, you yeah. know, about hospitals and civilians being targeted, it's got to feel a little, I, I guess, deflating because obviously I, I would think that UNESCO designated buildings are probably last on the list of concern, although in your world and, you know, in the grand scheme of things in history, this is a big deal. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't compare at all to, uh, to bombing maternity hospitals and to the, the general horror that people are going through. Uh, but I think the fact these buildings are very, very important to Ukrainians and very important religiously and culturally. Um, people are talking about Russia's intent to erase Ukrainian culture, uh, and this is part of that, and it's very important to uh, to be aware of it. And not just, you know, symbols of Christianity either. I mean, there's a very large Jewish community in Ukraine that I wasn't aware of until this whole thing started. Uh, what, what, how big that, that population actually is in that country? That's a, that's a very important uh, community, and um, the... Uh, the synagogues that I discussed in that article, uh, there's only two that survive of about 40 before the, the Nazis came in. Uh, the Sori Gilad from 1925, the Jakob Glanzer Schul from the 1840s. These are precious reminders of a, of a, a, a patrimony, a Jewish patrimony. They used to be um, a third of the population of Lviv. Now it's much less. While we have you, Professor, and I know we're really focusing and lasered in on the conflict in the, in the war in Ukraine, and again, their architecture, their buildings of historic uh, you know, value, uh, I'd like to switch focus just a bit because this is your profession and your uh, passion. In Canada, do you think that we do enough you know, to protect our historic buildings and you know, structures, or is it something that we, we kind of you know, don't pay enough attention to? Well, it depends on the province, actually. Quebec's doing an amazing job of, uh, they, they've uh, recorded everything from enormous churches to chicken coops built in the 1930s as being patrimony. Ontario's not doing as good a job. We have all kinds of small churches that are very historic that are just being abandoned or even torn down or burned down. Um, so it really depends on the province. I can't speak to Alberta, but, uh, but I think Quebec is the model to follow. Well, we're grateful for your time this morning. It's, you know, obviously we know what's important in this war right now, and that's the people, obviously. The but, people. you know, there there are some certainly other interesting aspects to it, and, and the art history of that country really is significant as well. So we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thanks so much. Govan Bailey is a professor of art history and art conservation at Queen's University. It's interesting because you can imagine, you know, the same reason, you know, that we, we travel to these countries is, is well, being destroyed right now indiscriminately. I mean, you go there, you, you don't take pictures. Well, you might take pictures of some of the land, but let's be honest. I mean, it looks very similar. It, it's interesting if you dropped in the middle of in nowhere, our farmland, it, it could be Canada. It could mm-hmm. be Saskatchewan mm-hmm. for that yeah. matter. You know what I'm saying? But these, that's when you really see the history. And and si- very significant that I think maybe we don't learn as much about that part of the world as, no, we, no. as we should. But, uh, you know, in this article in theconversation.com, the, Ukraine is home to hundreds of wooden churches that date back to the 16th century. They're really beautiful looking buildings and obviously have great cultural value and significance to the people. So UNESCO has stepped in, made these sites that are supposed to be protected. Putin doesn't care about that, nor about the people, obviously, most importantly. So, you know, it's interesting. I think it just, you know, to bring attention to exactly what's going on in that country, all aspects of it, I think is super important. And the perspective, you put it big time in perspective for me in Calgary. If you find a building or a structure that's 100, years old it's ancient good luck You're mentioning yeah. the 16th century there mm-hmm. incredible difference yep dr craig janney is with us once again and dr janney thank you so much for taking time with us today as you have throughout the pandemic to answer questions as sent in by listeners they can send them on the text line, 403-974-8255. And anything on the table when it comes to coronavirus and COVID-19. And a personal apology to you, Dr. Janney. I don't know if there's been a virus in my email. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the past uh, several weeks, when you're back and forth with our producers, I think he doesn't get back to me. You've been going to my junk email box. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're anything but junk. Uh, listen, we're so happy to have you with us once again. And, and uh, timely as well. Because we're hearing, and, and it's always these names of the different variants that, that always strike me, we're hearing about the stealth Omicron. Da, da, da. And it, it started as kind of a trickle, like hearing of this, you know, in, in, in Asia. And now we're hearing that it's impacting things so much so in China, I believe it's this particular variant, that they're uh, putting in some half-decent, well, bringing back restrictions. Is that right? China. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure where this name evolved from. This may be a little bit more of a public communication, but but this appears to be a sub-variant of Omicron. So it's, once again, what we're fully expecting. These viruses will keep changing. They'll keep looking a little different. The good news is, as with many of the other variants, the disease is not significantly worse, but it spreads a little faster. And in this case, it it seems to be really good at at dodging the protection offered by some vaccines, in particular the vaccines that China approved and used appear to be very ineffective against this particular subvariant. So it, it is highlighting what happens when a, when a virus does break that vaccine coverage, how quickly it can spread again within a community. Dr. Janie, curious, because this one, less effective, spreads quickly but less effective, right? So that's the one that we always key in mm-hmm. on. But is there potential for a new variant, a subvariant that could be worse? Yeah, absolutely. That that's the problem. There, there's no real way of predicting whether it will get worse or, or get milder. Uh, you know, there's a lot of social media out there that the virus will continue to evolve to become weaker or, or less severe. And you know, some of the variants will be. Others still have that potential to be worse. 
what does change, though, is as we continue to vaccinate, as more people become infected and recover, our background level of protection in the community goes up. So that means even if we're reinfected or we get another outbreak of the same variant, it will cause less severe disease because there's more immunity mm. in the community. The, there are two ways to do that. One is vaccination. One is, is natural immunity. And what we have seen is, unfortunately, natural immunity. There's a lot of severe illness as the population moves through that. And we know it does not last as long as the vaccine-induced immunity. So, you know, they're both important tools, but we really still want to be trying to get that vaccine component as high as possible. Dr. Jenny, we've seen the pattern throughout the past two years. What happens in the east moves to the west. So yes. if we're seeing this this increase in cases due to this new variant in yeah. China, are we expecting it coming soon to a city in a country near you? Again, what we are seeing is it seems that the mRNA-based vaccines, the ones that Canada and, and many other Western nations relied heavily on, offers better protection. So once again, maybe not stopping the spread as effectively as earlier variants, but, but still remaining very effective at keeping people from severe symptoms, from hospitalization. So the, the prediction would be that this, this subvariant will have a lesser impact in North America. But what will happen is because it spreads faster and easier, it's going to continue to be difficult to keep the most uh, at-risk populations protected. So keeping this virus out of various facilities might become more difficult if it is spreading faster. And that's always been the problem throughout the the pandemic is keeping those most at risk uh, from getting infected. Right. Uh, Okay, Dr. Jenny, a couple of questions to throw at you here. Just got this one in this morning. Uh, Someone who's 56 years old and triple vaxxed tested positive is the drug available to them that the drug the antiviral that you take within five days at home this person is prone to pneumonia so with that pill there are there are pretty strict criteria as to who can take it right Yeah, you, you, there are a number of underlying health conditions. Uh, a predisposition to pneumonia is not necessarily one, unless there's a, a bigger underlying reason. Uh, it is worth following up with your physician or, or with 811 to see if, if it qualifies. But there's also a, a fair number of restrictions on that, and that is uh, it does have negative interactions with a lot of common drugs as well. So if this person's on any one of those drugs that would be on a, on a list where there's an interaction, they also would not qualify. So it is a important tool for for a small number of Albertans, but it is not a universal therapy once you've caught the virus. Dr. Jenny, we have to take a quick break for traffic. Can you hang on with us for two more minutes? sure. Good stuff. We are back with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C, answering your COVID questions. Dr. Janney, here's one for you to get back into the questions. Uh, This person texting in to say, I got covid I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, but it's appeared like a head cold. So do you take over-the-counter medications? Will that do anything for you? So many of the medications could relieve symptoms or the perception of, of symptoms, you know, make you feel better, whether directly or placebo, but it's not going to shorten the duration of the illness, unfortunately. I mean, this is very much like we've experienced with many other viral infections, that there's very few treatments, especially over-the-counter, that actually help you clear it faster. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those ones that, you know, we, we might be able to, to make you feel better, um, but it's still going to ride out its course of infection. Just got to wait it out, right? Yeah. yeah. Darcy sends in this text, Dr. Jenny, should we get a vaccine every six months? My booster was seven months ago. So we're still learning about this, and this is unfortunately, you know, as as 
been throughout the whole pandemic, the first time we've been doing this. So uh, we know the, 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 the vaccines are safe now. You know, we, we've, we've literally administered billions of doses and people have had them now for, for over a, a year, year and a half for, for many people. So we know that they're safe, but we're still answering those questions about how long do they last. And that's directly influenced by a couple things. One is, does the virus keep changing? Do we, uh, how high does our immunity have to be to stop the next variant? But also in Canada, we used a different vaccine strategy. We had a longer gap between the first and second shot. And as it turns out, that gave us better protection than many of the other countries. So one reason why we were able to delay boosters later than, for example, the UK or other places in Europe was that we ended up with phenomenal protection from those first two shots in Canada. So we're still learning and, and we're, we're seeing advice from NACI based on Canadian data, based on what we know Canadians need. And we'll continue to update that based on NACI's recommendations. Okay, speaking of the variant, Dr. Janney, uh, this person is saying, does the new variant, do we know yet even, show up on tests? So people who've been sick but show a negative test, is it possible they've got this new variant? So it is still showing up on the, the, the standard test. What, what it is not showing up on is it's a little harder to pick up on than, than for example, uh, Omicron was. So we, we have to fully sequence them to know which variant you're getting. But you will still test positive on standard tests, even with the new variant. Dr. Jenny, as of this week, of eligibility opening up for boosters for those kids ages 12 to 17 years old. If you can talk about the importance of that age group getting a booster, because it seems to me that that was an age group that wasn't as impacted as us adults. Yeah, no, it's a great point. So, so they are less impacted, absolutely, but they are still impacted. And we've seen several dozen cases at the Alberta Children's Hospital of, of people under 18, um, you know, the much, much smaller number than adults, but not zero risk. Uh, we also know that these are individuals who will pass the virus on to others. And, you know, some of our largest spreads of, of virus in the fall were schools. And those are the people that can unfortunately bring virus home to at-risk grandparents and, and, and others. So what we have seen in adult populations is that booster shot, that third dose, actually restores vaccine protection from infection. So we, we've talked a lot about it. It continues to protect you from hospitalization, but protection from infection drops. That third dose gets it back up to nearly 80% protected from being infected. So again, a very powerful tool that will help limit viral spread and keep it away from the at-risk populations. Dr. Janney, we got some late questions in, so obviously we're going to have to have you back again. Thank you so much for joining oh, you're us. you're welcome, guys. Take Appreciate care. it. As always, Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. March break is upon us. Are you ready to keep your kids busy and engaged? The trend spotters at Showcase have been on the hunt for months, uncovering the latest and greatest items to keep your kids active, amused, and engaged. Joining us with what you need, whether traveling or staying at home for the week, is Danny Boom, head of live shopping at Showcase. Good morning to you, Danny. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? Good. You got your work cut out for us, uh, parents out there who want to keep mm. the kids busy. March break coming up fast. My kids have the attention span of a flea. So, <laughs> what, I think even adults have the attention span of a well, flea. That could be it. So, yeah, we'll and we want to make sure that everybody gets along during spring break. We want to keep people busy. So, what do you have for the kids and the teens? Okay, we've got, we've actually picked out five of the best 
on the trend tracker right now because obviously it's about keeping hands busy, minds active. So we started off with um, what's trending right now in social media. TikTok is worth is the place um, for showcase, really. At the end of the day, if you've seen it on TikTok, it's going to be in one of the six stores in the Calgary area for sure. And the big thing right now is calming fidget strips. It's an adhesive strip that basically can stick to anything. So it's kind of like a Velcro but for any surface. And all you do is you lay it on and you rip it off. You lay it on and you rip it off. It's nothing more of like than fidgety than that. And fidget toys just keep entering yes. the trend tracker space every time. It never stops. And it's all about, I think we got into a habit um, where if it wasn't, we weren't popping it or we weren't twisting it or <laughs> spinning it. It was that now we're ripping it. And calming, so these calming fidget strips are definitely on the, the top five list right now. Um, the other thing is that's really emerging again and again and again is mini brands fashion or mini fashion brands as it's called. So you might have seen these, these are little balls that have um, around five surprises in them. And they open up like an orange. And then inside, they have lots of different collectibles. So there's mini brands, as in mini brands. mini, And then there's mini toys. And they are actually literally mini versions of everything you're going to see in the supermarket, everything you'd see in your toy store, cool. everything that you would see in your high street fashion. Um, and this is the beautiful thing about mini brands fashion. I was doing this with my daughter the other day. And uh, my wife went, ooh, and I said, what's that? And she goes, well, look, it's, 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 it looks like it's a Louis Vuitton. <laughs> and they'd even made a mini Louis Vuitton purse. That's cool. Look-esque. And then with these little perfumes, lipsticks, and everything else to go with it. So there's lots of different accessories, lots of um, rares also to collect. They have um, In each of the mini brands, they have a, a rare, so you can trade. But then the big thing is you want to collect the rares. So the rares are either a rose gold or they're gold, or they're even um, a rare find. So okay. like they'll have 10, 10 things to find. So this is a great activity. Now, the other thing is when we're talking about all the things that are showcased right now, we have a real big deal going on as well. It's buy three, get one free on toys like mini brands, on trading cards like Pokemon I'm going to talk to you about next, and then candy. So great deal as well right now in store and online when you shop at Showcase. Okay, awesome. So well, for, there's some really neat yeah. things I wanted to point out before you talk about the Pokemon because there's a, there, like, yeah. you even have snacks like the, the Taki, the blue heat chips, you've got those, but you've got Whizfling's dart games and Tech Toys pinball arcade, but tell us about Pokemon because I can't believe this is still a thing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, seriously, you know what? I can't even. I'm, and I was a kid when it first came around, and I'm, in, you know, I'm a little bit older than I was then. <laughs> and and this is the crazy thing is Pokemon cards just keep reinventing themselves, and that's why they're so tradable at the end of the day. And um, the collectible, the tradable, and now they've got a new series right now called the. Um, the fire and the sword and that is a uh, 170 different cards to collect so mm. you know every different series we've got like eight different series nine different series excuse me right now online and in store um and we don't just stop at pokemon as well we do every kind of sport the one that you really want to look out for if you're into sports trading cards is billy break sports cards these are amazing they have 18 to 20 different cards in them but they're not like um your normal trading cards where you just like you know it could be what the Traders look for is a hit. Um, in every pack of Billy Break sports cards, doesn't matter if it's basketball, hockey, um, baseball, or football, you're going to get at least 
uh, three to four hits in every pack and special autograph edition cards and a special golden ticket where you can win prizes. So that's another good one to look out for. Cool. Lots of stuff to add to the list for March break to keep those kids busy of all ages. Thank you so much, Danny. We'll direct people to one of the six stores in the Calgary region or online at shop at showcase.com. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. See you soon, guys. Bye. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.